and welcome to the New City Church Podcast. I'm Benjamin Komanopoli Jr., pastor of New City Church Hyderabad. This is where you will hear messages preached at our church. It's my prayer that the incorruptible seed of God's Word will strengthen you, build you, and help you receive the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Enjoy the Word and be blessed. The book of Daniel, chapter 11 and verse 32. Daniel 11 and 32. We're continuing the series called Knowing God. Everyone say, Knowing God. All right? And in the series of Knowing God, it's, it's uh, um, you know, for us and our, this ministry, it's based on the word that we have for this year, 2024, the year of? Come on, the year of? Once again, the year of? The year of knowing God. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32 says, those who do, sorry, let's go to the second part of that verse. It says, but the people who know their God, everyone say, know their God. The Bible says, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. They shall be strong and they shall carry out great exploits. Exploit and 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 the focus that we're uh, uh, the, the the focus that we have right now is the part of knowing God. That this is going to be the time that we're going to know God like never before. In the uh, in most cases, it's not that you are guys. I'm getting a lot of resound. If you can do something about that, I'm hearing myself. I think it's bouncing um, back from the wall. All right, let me try that one more time. Okay. So in most cases, it's not that you have not known God before, but we're talking about knowing God in a more intimate way than ever before. Knowing his nature, knowing his character, knowing who he is and what we are to him and who we are in relation to who he is. Hallelujah. So we talked about the fact that when the Bible talks about knowing, there are three different aspects that we're talking about here. We're talking about knowledge, we're talking about relationship, and we're talking about experience. Everyone say knowledge, relationship, and experience. Now, when it comes to knowledge, the primary way we're going to grow in the knowledge of God is through His Word. Everyone say Word. Now, the way we're going to build that relationship with God is through prayer, and then the experiences or having an experience with God will primarily happen by the work of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say the Holy Spirit. So we're dealing with now, right now, we're dealing with the Word of God. We're dealing with growing in our knowledge first. Because without knowledge, the Bible says people perish. Without knowledge, you will not really have a proper understanding of this being called God that you're going to have a relationship with. So the first base, the first foundational thing that every one of us have to understand is that we have the right knowledge concerning the things of God. We have the right knowledge regarding who this God is. And so when it comes to the knowledge, we said three things that we must know about God. Number one, his character and his nature, all right? Number one is his character and his nature. Number two, we're supposed to know the ways of God. And number three, we're supposed to know his power. These three things are, are, are three different aspects that we're going to start talking about, and these three things must be understood by everyone that's going to have a relationship with the God of the Bible. Hallelujah. Now, today, what I'm going to deal with is the nature and character of God, all right? The nature and character of God. The nature and character of God. 
Now, in order to have a genuine relationship with a person, you must get to a place where you know the nature or the character of the person. Am I right? Now, you just think about the, uh, the people that in your life, whether it may be a friend, uh, maybe uh, somebody in your family, maybe if you're already married, then your spouse, um, sometimes it's your children, whatever the case may be. If you're having a genuine relationship with the other person, that means you've gotten to a place where you know their nature and character. But if you don't know the nature and character, what you will say is oftentimes you might go into a new office, uh, you got a new job or you got into a new college or you moved into a new apartment or a new house or a new neighborhood. It's not that you don't know your neighbor. It's not that you don't know the person that is in your next cubicle or it's not that you've never heard of the person on your team, but you don't know their nature and character properly. And if you know, don't know their nature and character properly, you cannot get to a place of having a genuine relationship with them. It'll just be a superficial relationship at best. You'll say hello, you'll say goodbye, you'll say, you know, how are you doing? And you'll talk about, you know, you know uh, the, the small talk as we say. And, and then we just talk about those few things and we say goodbye and we walk away. And if somebody says, do you know so-and-so? You might say, yes, I know that person but you don't have a genuine relationship with that person. Why? Because you, got, you have not yet gotten to a place where you know that person's nature and character. Now, it's the same thing with God Almighty as well. See, you can understand, you, you might have heard about God, you might have heard certain things about God, and yes, you might even have read scriptures, or you may have uh, been attending church all your life, and all of these things. But the question is, do you genuinely know the nature and the character of this God that you serve? Because one of the things is, if a person's nature and character is misrepresented by another person, then your relationship with that person, person or the individual is going to be negatively affected. See, sometimes this happens in our lives. Sometimes we stay away from certain people, or sometimes we don't get close to certain people because of what we heard about that individual. Has that happened in your life? Right? You heard certain things, and then you thought, you know, if that person is that kind of nature, if he has that kind of character, let me just stay away. And on the other side, the reality might be that person's nature might be the opposite of what you've heard. Or at least, at the very least, may be different from what you have heard about that person. Now, what's happening is, even if that person's nature and character is different, because of what you've heard about that individual, your relationship with that individual is now affected. Are you understanding that? So, even when we talk about our relationship with God, if what you have heard about God is not really the true nature of God or the true character of God, then your relationship with this God that you serve is going to be negatively affected because of what you have heard about this God that you are supposed to have be in a genuine relationship with. If you understand that so far, say amen. All right? Now... The Bible is the word, but again, throughout Scripture, we will see, and I'll give you a couple of examples at least today with the time that we have, where the, 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 the God that we're talking about is written about, is talked about, but then later on, we get to see that the, what was written about him, what was talked about him, was not actually a proper representation of who he actually is. And if we don't get a proper representation of who he actually is, then our relationship with him 
will not be based on his true nature and character, but our relationship with him will be based on the false representation that has taken place about him. Are you understanding that? Now, go with me to the book of 2 Peter, please. 2 Peter. And this is one of the reasons, even as you're turning there, this is one of the reasons why uh, we get certain, uh, uh, you know, if I can say this, we get certain bad theology based on this, right? We, we get certain bad uh, ideas about who God is, bad ways of thinking. And sometimes what happens is a misrepresentation of God becomes the stronghold in the minds of Christians. One of the things that we talked about in the past, in the last couple of weeks, is the aspect of tradition. When, when, when tradition becomes a stronghold in the life of an individual, when truth comes into their life, the stronghold takes over and the truth of the word or the truth of regarding who God actually is does not come into the life of the hearer. Why? Because the stronghold is keeping them bound in that misrep- misrepresentation or is keeping them bound in that lie. And therefore, we say things like, you know, God will do whatever he wants to do. Now, that, that, that seems very normal. Yeah, God is all-powerful, so he can do whatever he wants to do. But does he do that? Does God actually do whatever he wants to do? I've heard so many Christians say, God is so powerful, he can do whatever he wants to do. He does whatever he wants to do. Is that really true? No, it's not. Why? Even though, yes, it is, he, he, it is absolutely true that he is absolutely powerful, But at the the same time, he's bound himself to his word. He's bound himself to his word. So, So because he's bound himself to his word, we know that there are certain things that he's never going to do. Like for example, I know for a fact God will never destroy this planet. As long as you and I are here, he's never going to destroy this planet. Global warming, nothing's going to happen to this planet. I guarantee you that. Why? For, for example, God told Noah, he made a covenant. He says that the earth will not experience that kind of flood again. That's his word. So he is not going to do whatever he feels like doing. Why? He's bound by that covenant word. Are you understanding that? His word will never fail. And so therefore, he will stick to that covenant word. That's his nature. Are you understanding that? So we just simply cannot make a statement that says God will do whatever he wants to do. No, he won't. No, he won't. Does he have the capacity to? Sure. But will he? No, he won't. Are you understanding that? So same thing with with, with healing, for example. Sometimes God heals, sometimes he doesn't. Mm, I don't know. Where did you get that from? Well, based on my experience. Well, let's put the experience aside. Because there are a lot of variables when it comes to the experience of one person particular individual. But you have to go back to his nature and character and then ask the question, is God a God that heals? Now, when you begin to ask those questions based on his nature and character, then you begin to get a better understanding of the God that you serve. If you understand that, say amen. All right, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and let's pick up in verse 2. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Everyone say knowledge. All right, it is as in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Everyone say the knowledge of him. 
who has called us to glory and virtue. Now, as you grow in the knowledge of God, here the Bible says, grace and peace is multiplied. Grace and peace is multiplied. So, grace and peace is multiplied to us when we have an accurate knowledge of God. Are you understanding that? So, the more you know about God, the more you're getting to know about His nature, the more you're getting to know about His character, what's increasing in our life? Loudly. Grace and peace is being multiplied. It's increasing in our lives. Based on what you are learning about the nature and character of God. Based on the knowledge of God. So if grace and peace is being multiplied in our lives, guess what is decreasing or what is not increasing or not being multiplied in our lives? That means fear is not being multiplied. Are we understanding that? So as I learn more about God, I'm not getting more afraid of God. Peace is increasing in my life. I'm not becoming more shameful. I'm not saying, oh, I'm afraid of God's judgment in my life. No, the more I learn about God, I'm not afraid of his judgments. I'm glad about his judgments. Grace is being multiplied in my life. Peace is being multiplied. I'm not afraid of coming into the presence of God. The more I grow in the knowledge of God, I want to run into the presence of God. On the best day of my life, I want to run into the presence of God. On my worst day of my life, I want to run into the presence of God. Why? Because now I'm growing to have an accurate, accurate understanding about the nature and character of God. I'm having a better and accurate knowledge of who God is. What's increasing? Come on loudly. Grace and peace is being multiplied. That means fear is not being multiplied. Anxiety about God is not being multiplied. Doubt is not being multiplied. Oh, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know what God... See, that's not being multiplied. Peace. Why? I know God. Everyone say, I know God. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, I know God. See, the more you know God, anxiety does not increase. Peace increases. Now, you can be in the midst of a storm and you'll be peaceful. Why? You know God accurately. Grace and peace is being multiplied. Hallelujah. Grace and peace is being multiplied. So I'm not afraid of God. Now, this is not, I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the, when the Bible talks about the, the fact that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and walking in the fear of the Lord, that's a very good thing that every one of us must have. But remember, the fear of the Lord is not a terrifying fear. The fear of the Lord is awe and respect and reverence towards God. That's what the fear of the Lord is. So the more I get to know about God, it does not become, it does not mean, oh, grace and peace, so that therefore I become, uh, um, you know, irreverent in the presence of God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the fact that we become arrogant in the presence of God. No, the reverence towards God, the reverence towards the things of God is always going to, that's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. However, we're not talking about fright. We're not talking about paralyzing fear. We're not talking about fear that drives away from his presence. When, when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's the, it's the awe and reverence or the fear that drives you into the presence of God, not far away from the presence of God. Are you understanding that? See, the Bible talks about the, the nation of Israel a feared God. And what happened as a result? They said, Moses, you go talk. We don't want to talk. That's not what we're talking about. They were afraid. That was not the fear of the Lord. 
But everyone that had a genuine fear of the Lord, both even in the Old Testament, what happened? They went into the presence of God. Everyone that had a genuine fear of the Lord, they always ran towards God. The ones that had a genuine fear of the Lord grew in their relationship with God. Not dist- they did not distance themselves from God. They drew closer to the things of God. Hallelujah. All right, go with me. Now, let's, let's, um, okay, let's pick up in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see uh, from the point when Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden because of their sin, right? Ever since Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden, the journey of knowing God restarted for man, right? The journey of knowing God restarted for man. Why? Because Adam and knew God a certain way. How did they know him? They knew him as father. They knew him as father. Why? He, 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 they, he was, uh, 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 Adam was birthed out of God. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So they were birthed from that time. He knew him as father. But once Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, now the future generations did not have a father relationship with God Almighty. Now, the journey of knowing this unknown God began. Are you understanding that? Now, if we jump across certain timelines right now, we understand, for example, Adam knew God as God the Father, and he knew that through his birth, right? That's how he knew. From the time he opened his eyes, he saw God the Father. Okay, that's my Father. That's my Creator. That's my God. That's the relationship that he had. Now, later on, we see, for example, if you look at uh, the life of Abraham, the Bible says Abraham was a friend of God. Everyone say friend. And the Bible says that Abraham knew God by faith, right? So now Abraham begins to know God, that God is almighty, but one of the ways he knows God is as a friend. And the way he knows about, the means by which he knows God as a friend is by faith. Now at the same time, when you, when you skip a couple of more generations and when you think about the nation of Israel, now Israel also knew God. They knew God for his power, They knew God as God Almighty for his ability for great signs and wonders, for his terrifying power and the ability to do do things for their life, for the great miracles that they saw. And, And they saw him as a person that had the capacity to bless and the capacity to curse, the capacity to judge. All of these things were being known by Israel. And the primary way they knew this God was through the law. Are you understanding that? It's not by faith that they knew him. It's through the law that they knew him. Now, if you skip a couple of more generations, and now you come to us in the New Testament, now, once again, the primary way that we know God is that we know him as our father. Everyone say father. And how does that happen? Once again, it happens by faith and the new birth. Are you understanding that? Faith and the new birth. So now it's almost like we've gone full circle and we've come back to the place and that's why we're called the new creation, right? That's why it was the first Adam and then the introduction of the new creation through the last Adam. So now we're once again have been restored to the place of knowing God the way Adam knew God before sin ever entered the equation. Are you understanding that? Now, This is very important for you to know. Because if you don't understand everything that has happened in this journey of knowing God, 
there is the possibility that you will go into certain time periods and try to know God in those time periods and think that's a true representation of God. Or that that's a whole representation of God. Or you will think that's the way God is dealing with you and me even today. Are you understanding that? I said, are you understanding that? All right. So, in the process of knowing him and his nature, we see that Abraham was a friend of God by faith. Once the law was introduced by Moses, the nation of Israel knew God through the lens of the law. The writers of the Old Testament knew God a certain way through the law. However, they did not know him completely or truly for who he was. You need to get that. The writers of the Old Testament, primarily talking about the law and the prophets, they knew God a certain way. Powerful men. Powerfully used of God. But they knew him a certain way and every one of them knew him by the, come on, knew him by the, by the law. Now you will find glimpses of people. For example, David is somebody, even though he was living under the law, got into certain areas in his relationship with God where he began to see into the future. David, even though he was living in the law, began to see the blessedness of people who did not have to live under the law. That's why you see in the Psalms, and he begins to write, there are, there are, he was caught up in the spirit or he was beginning to go into places that went beyond the time period that he was living in. And he began to talk about the blessedness of the man whose sins are forever forgiven. Now, how is he talking about that? Because he's not in a time period where the sins are forgiven, but he's talking about the blessedness of a man whose sins will be forgiven. Hallelujah. Are you understanding that? All right. Go with me to Luke chapter 9. I'll give you a quick example. Now, just write this down if you're taking notes. The nature of God must be understood through the life of Jesus and the new covenant. The nature of God must be understood through the life of Jesus and the new covenant. I'll give you a quick example. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 9, um, verse 51. It says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him. Right? The Samaritans did not receive him, the Bible says, verse 53. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Now, there were racial tensions that were taking place here between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, all right? And now he goes on to say, 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah 
did. Now stop. Look up here. Couple of questions. Did Elijah know God? Come on loudly. Was Elijah a great man of God? Yes, absolutely. A man of authority, a man of power, a man that was heavily and mightily used of God. Now, the reason why they say are they're talking about calling heaven, sorry, calling fire from heaven is because we see in the life of Elijah that several times, multiple times, this man simply, there is a blue sky out there, and this man simply calls down fire from heaven, and fire shows up. Now you talk about a sign and a wonder. That's a sign and a wonder. <laughs> That's a sign and a wonder. So people, the king sends people to him. And what does he say? He's upset. And he calls down fire. He's not, talking about, he's not talking to his servant about it. He doesn't, say, he doesn't uh, ask 10 of his uh, uh, you know, sons of the prophets to say, round all of these guys up and put them in here, get some gasoline, get some fire, get some sticks. No, he, he's not talking not to a single human being, not to one servant, not to a boy, not to an assistant. He simply calls down fire from heaven. And they, guess what? The fire shows up. The fire shows up and consumes them. This happens multiple times. It happens multiple. Now, think about it. These soldiers did not do anything wrong. They were just following orders. The king told them to go. And they show up at the prophet's house. And this man calls down fire. Dead. Goes, the news gets back. Sends another group. Calls down fire. Dead. They didn't do anything wrong. Finally, the, the, the next time people show up, they, they beg for mercy. Now, that is a man of God. That was a prophet of the Lord. One of the greatest prophets that you will read in the Bible. So, for the disciples, when they're reading through the Old Testament, this is a hero of the faith. I mean, even to this day. Who would say Elijah is not a great man? Every Christian, everybody that knows anything about the Bible that reads the scriptures will say, Elijah, we, you, some of you have named your kids after this man. Am I right? Why? Because we consider him to be the hero of the faith. Somebody who knew God. Somebody who walked with God. Somebody who did great and mighty things in the name of God. So the disciples are now thinking, okay, Jesus, we already read. We already know. So here's the plan. What we are going to do is we will call down fire the way Elijah did it. Look at the next verse. Verse 55. But he, they're talking about Jesus, but he turned and rebuked them. Now, why would Jesus rebuke somebody that is trying to follow the footsteps and the example of Elijah? Are you following? Jesus rebukes his disciples for following the model and example of Elijah. He rebuked them and said, you do not know the, what manner of spirit you are of. Wait a minute. Jesus. I'm not talking about some demonic power. I'm just talking about Elijah. You know, the guy who we name our sons after. And Jesus says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. Now, why would he do that? 
Now, one of the reasons why he would do that is because Jesus came to reveal God in a way that they were not familiar with. Jesus came to reveal the Father in a way that they were not familiar with. Go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Hallelujah. John chapter 1. And let's pick up in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of, full of, full of grace and truth. Verse 15. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of his fullness we have received, we have all received, and grace for grace. Verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, in those couple of verses, in verse 14, he says, Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, he was full of, come on loudly, he was full of grace and truth. And then in verse 16, he says, Of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. So Jesus came, the word became flesh. He came full of grace and truth. And of him, what did we receive? Grace for grace. That's what we've all received. We've not received something. The thing that we've received from Christ is the grace of God. Right? Then he says in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, after saying and talking about grace three different times in those verses, now he comes to verse 18, and verse 18 says, No one has seen God at any time. Oh, but I thought people in the Old Testament saw God. Don't we see examples of people being face-to-face -face with God in the Old Testament? We absolutely do. So how does this word say, but no one has seen God at any time. I mean, even in the beginning, Adam saw God. Obviously, he, he must have seen God. Then we see even through, even during the times of the law, we see that people saw God. Well, why does the scripture say no one has seen God at any time? Because no one has seen God at any time for his true nature and character until that point. Nobody had seen him in his fullness until that point. Are you understanding that? Then he says, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Now, he has declared him. That might not mean much to us, but let's read that same verse in the New Living Translation, please. Verse 18 in the NLT. It says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Hallelujah. Now, so what's happening? Jesus, who is God, who, sorry, who is the Word became flesh. He came full of grace and truth. And as a result of that, what did we receive? Grace for grace. And then again, he says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. Now he says, until this point, no one has seen God, but Jesus has come to reveal God to us. Hallelujah. 
Jesus has come to reveal God to us. Why? Because Moses had a great relationship with God. David had a great relationship with God. The prophets had great relationships with God. All of these things are true. Yes and amen. But nobody has a relationship with God the Father the way Jesus, his son, has a relationship with God the Father. And therefore, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Which means what? Whatever I say to you, I say it because I know the Father better than anybody knows the Father. I came to reveal the Father to you. Look at it in the Amplified Version, please. In the Amplified, it says, For the law was given through Moses grace, unearned, undeserved favor and spiritual blessing. And truth came through Jesus Christ. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten God who is in the bosom, who is in the bosom, in the intimate presence of the Father, he has declared him. Now it says, he has revealed him and brought him out where he can be seen. So Jesus revealed him and he brought the Father out into the place. He brought him out into the public. He brought him out from the tabernacle. He brought him out of the holies of holies. He brought him out of the temple and into the streets. Are you understanding that? This is the reason why, for the very first time in human history, people did not have to go to the temple to see God. God was showing up on the streets. God was walking among the people. For the very first time in human history, as much as these prophets and the people of the Old Covenant had a relationship with God, nobody could bring God into the streets until Jesus showed up. Until Jesus showed up. And now Jesus shows up, and now for the very first time, you were not getting healed in the temple, you were getting healed on the street. You were getting restored in your own living room. The woman with the issue of blood was healed on the street. The woman at the well, her life was restored at the well. Zacchaeus, whose life was broken down, he goes, Jesus goes to his house and his life is turned around in the house. Where all the, 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 the robbed money, the stolen money was kept in that very place, his life turned around. He didn't run to the temple. Why? Now, God was on the move. God was showing up in places where he never showed up before. God was being revealed to people that, was, that, that always seemed far away from him. If you understand that, say amen. Hallelujah. By receiving grace from Jesus, we have gotten to know God better than ever before. Are you understanding that now? In John chapter, again, John chapter 1. Verses 14 through 18, Jesus comes, the word became flesh. Why? To reveal the Father. And what did we receive? He came full of grace and truth. And when we came with full of grace and truth, what did we receive? We received grace for grace. We receive an abundance of grace. And as a result of receiving this abundance of grace, what's happening? We're getting to know the Father in ways that nobody else knew the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then he goes on to say, go, or, or go with me to John 14, please. John 14. See, this is the reason Jesus made the Father seen by everyone. 
He was no longer kept in man-made structures. Jesus came to save the world. Anyone that would believe in him would become part of the family and know God as father. They would immediately become part of the family. Anybody that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become part of the family and you will know God as father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, you will not know God as, as, as some fearful dictator as an all-powerful dictator in the skies, you will not know him as the all-powerful judge, but you will primarily know him as father. See, it's not, I'm not saying that he's not the judge. I'm not saying he's not the powerful one. What I am saying is, there is no reason for you to be afraid of his power. There is no reason for you to be afraid of his judgments. See, whenever you see a, a, a movie or something like that, uh, uh, when, where if there is a hero character in the, in the movie, right? And there is about to be a fight scene or something like that. And the hero shows up on the, on the scene. And let's say the hero has children or there are just children out there on the field. And there is some kind of villain attacking them and, and, and there is chaos all over the place. When the hero shows up, with all his might and power and glory, the hero shows up on the screen. Do you see the children running in fear? I said, do you see the children running in fear? No. Who are the ones that are running in fear? Who are the ones that are panicking? The villain or the guys who are bringing forth the evil into that situation? Now, same power, same ability. Children are not running away. Are you understanding that? I am not removing God's holiness. I'm not removing his righteousness. I'm not removing his anger. I'm not removing any of those things. All I am saying is those, that, that does not depict God's true nature towards you and me. You understand that? So when God shows up on the screen, that's not the time for you to run away. That's only the time for the demons to run away. It's time for you to rejoice when you see his awesome power. Hallelujah. Why? Because that awesome power is not being used against you. That awesome power is being used for you. That's the nature and the character of the God that we serve. If you understand that, say amen. John 14 verse 9. He says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the... He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do we know the nature of God? If you've seen Jesus, you have seen the nature of the Father. Hallelujah. Go with me to John 17. Look at the prayer that Jesus prays here. The book of John chapter 17 and verse 25. He says, O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. The world doesn't know you, but I do. But I do. And then what does he say? And these dis disciples know you, sent me. I have revealed you to them. What did he do? Come on, loudly. But see, but these people already knew the Old Testament. So, if everything that is supposed to be known about God was already revealed, why is he revealing? These were not strangers to the law. They were not strangers to the prophets. They knew. And yet, what does he say? I have revealed you to them. And I will continue to do so. Well, didn't 
Moses already reveal you? Didn't David already reveal you? Didn't the prophets already reveal you? Mm -mm. Not like this. Not like this. That's why he says, the world does not know you, but I do. And guess what? With everything I know about you, I've revealed you to them. I've revealed you to them. And I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them. And I will be in them. Hallelujah. He says, I have revealed you to them. Not the law. Not the prophets. Not the old covenant. The law did not reveal. The prophets did not reveal. The old covenant did not reveal. It took Jesus to reveal the Father for who he truly was and who he truly is and who he will forever be. Can we give a clap offering unto Jesus? He is the one. He is the one who's revealed the Father to us. Oh, what a blessing it is to live in the new covenant. Oh, what a blessing it is to live in the new covenant. A time where the Father is revealed to his children. Hallelujah. Go with me to Matthew chapter 17. Let's quickly go. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Are you being blessed? All right, Matthew 17. Let's pick up in verse 1. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them on a high mountain by themselves, and he, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as, as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Now, this is awesome, right? By now, everyone knows. Moses, a couple of thousand years ago, Elijah, at least uh, nearly a thousand years ago, by, by the time Jesus shows up. And all of this is happening. And now, these are people who have left the earth. Now, all of a sudden, they show up. So Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, they're having a conversation. The next verse, verse 4, please. Verse 4 says, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus. See, Peter always has to say something. Jesus didn't even ask a question. He has an answer. Right? No questions asked, but Peter has a brilliant answer for the question that was never asked. G Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Good. So far, so good, right? It's good for them to be there, to experience what they're seeing. It's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Right? This is awesome, Jesus. Thank you for bringing us here. We never thought we'll see something like this. We've only read about Moses. We've only read about Elijah. But today, I get to see them with my own eyes. He's excited. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build three tabernacles, one for each of you. Look what happens. The next verse. While he was still speaking. Right? He didn't even finish. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. I already thought they were in a cloud and it was lightning, white as light. And yet, there was a greater light. Somebody say a greater light. 
Now the Bible says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now listen to this, hear him. That means, here's what was happening. Peter, out of his good intentions, what he was saying is, Jesus, you're great. I've heard a lot about Elijah. I've heard a lot about Moses. This is the perfect time. All of you, amazing people. Three tabernacles, one for each. And God says, immediately he shows up. And he says, this is my son. I'm well pleased. He doesn't speak about Elijah. doesn't speak about Moses. And he says, hear him. Now, what does that mean? What does Moses represent? He represents the law. What does Elijah represent? The prophets. If I can have three people, quickly, three volunteers, quickly. Just stand here, please. Jesus, turn them and stand here, together. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. The law, Moses, the prophets, Elijah, Jesus. Having a conversation, all part of the word. Peter shows up, like you and I. Oh, this is amazing. Oh my God, I've only seen him so far. Heard a lot about him. Nice to meet you. Powerful guy. Nice to meet you. Here's what I'm going to do. All on the same level. While he's still speaking, the father shows up. Why? Because they're not on the same level. Because when he showed up, it was not to be on their level. When he showed up, it was to reveal the Father like he's never been revealed before. And so now he says, I know Moses, I know Elijah. Not their time, not speaking to them, not talking about them. He says, here is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Next verse, verse 6. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly, they were afraid. Afraid. Now, why would you be afraid when God shows up? Jesus was not afraid, but they were afraid. You know why? They heard a lot from Moses and a lot from Elijah. Next verse. Look at what Jesus says. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I know you heard the voice of the Father. Hey, you don't have to be afraid of that voice any longer. Are you understanding that? Don't, see, that's not a terrifying voice for you. That's a voice of comfort. Don't be afraid. Don't respond the way the people of the Old Covenant responded. The people of the Old Covenant were afraid when they heard the voice of God. And he says, 
hey, don't be afraid. Look at the next verse. And he says, and when they lifted up their eyes, you guys go, you guys are going to stay. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus alone. What just happened? What just happened? The law, out of picture. The prophets, out of the picture. Jesus, the new covenant, still in place. Hear him. Thank you. Are you understanding that? Hear him. Why? Because he's no longer dealing with you the way he dealt with the people in the law. He's no longer dealing with you the way the prophets dealt with the people. Hear him. Look at the uh, verse 8. Yeah. Um, and they lifted up their eyes. They saw no one but Jesus. So the question is, well, what about what Job said? What about what David said? What about what the prophet said? What about what the law said? Hear Jesus and understand the Father. Hear Jesus and know the nature and character of God. Hallelujah. Matthew 5 and verse 17 says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. Why was Moses removed? Why was Elijah removed? Why was the law removed? Why was the prophets removed? Why? Because they did not come to abolish the law or destroy the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill. Because the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus, now we look only towards Jesus. Are you understanding that? All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 8. Okay, let's do this quickly. Hallelujah. I think we can get it done. All right, Hebrews chapter 8. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 8. Um, all right, I'll try to read the whole thing. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down at, in the place of honor besides the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest makes, uh, must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priests, since there are already, sorry, since there already are priests who offer gifts required by the law. Everyone understanding so far, right? He is not going to be a priest on the earth. Why? Because we already have priests on the earth at that point. Now he says, so Jesus is doing the work of the high priest, but he's doing it in the heavenlies. Verse 5, they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him, gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I have shown you here on the mountain. Verse 6. Now pay attention. Here it says, but now. Everyone say, but now. But now, Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. 
for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Verse 7, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for the second covenant to replace it. Now, if you only understand God and the nature of God through the law, the way the children of Israel understood God through the law, your relationship with God will go only as far as the children of, uh, children of Israel had a relationship with God. If you try to mix both the law and what Jesus said, you will not even get the best of each of those things. You will be a confused person. And with that confusion, you will start saying things like, sometimes God does, sometimes God doesn't. Sometimes we, we never understand the ways of God. God will do whatever he wants to do. You're saying these things sometimes based on scripture, but then not really understanding the nature of God, even though you've read scripture. Now, does that make sense? I said, does that make sense? See, even as so many of you are, are, are participating in the Bible reading program that we uh, uh, plan that we have going on, and I thank God that you're doing that, and even as you're reading that, I'm getting a bunch of different questions regarding what you're reading. Don't be, uh, again, I'm not saying never, question, never have questions. I'm not saying that at all. But don't be very quick in trying to get answers for questions while you have read just the first chapter of a book that has 100 chapters. You understand that? Don't be in a rush to get the answer quickly. First work through reading the entire book, and once you get through reading the entire book, you'll begin to understand the plot. You'll begin to understand the story. You'll begin to understand why certain characters did what was done. But if you don't understand that, oh, you just get to the third chapter of a particular book, and then you read one verse and you're stuck there. Don't get stuck there. Continue to read. Continue to read, continue to meditate, and pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. And as the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, you will know God for who he truly is. You will know God for who he truly is. The, right, the reason why we're encouraging people to every single day read your Bibles and get on the reading plan, why? Because you will know God for yourself. A better covenant with better promises. Then he says, if the first covenant had been faultless. See, some of us still, Christians, look at the law, look at, uh, at, at, at the, the, the way God related through the law as the perfect way. As the right way even for today. And yet the Bible says, if it was faultless, there would have been no need for the second covenant to replace. Everyone say replace. Come on, say replace. Replace. Now, look it up in every dictionary. Replace means exactly what you think. It means replace. I don't care what dictionary you use. Replace does not mean add on. Are you getting that? So he says, the second covenant came to replace. If you take your car or bike to some mechanic shop or the service center and says, this needs to be replaced and you pay all the money and he gives you the same old part, are you happy with it? No, you don't want any sight of that old thing. That old part has to be thrown in the trash. Get me a new part. Why? Because it must be replaced. And here he says, the second covenant replaced the first covenant. 
Now, it goes on to say, uh, let's just jump down to verse uh, just for the sake of time. I would encourage you, everyone, to read the entire chapter, but just for the sake of time, um, go down to verse 11, the second part, uh, part of um, verse 11. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, for, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of the new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So what's the difference? Here he says in verse 11 or verse 12, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. See, the way people knew God through the law was that he is the fault finder, he's the cursor, he is the one that will destroy. He is the one that will punish. That's why even in the book of Deuteronomy, you see when you're reading about the promises or the blessings of the law, it's only 14 verses. When you read about the curses, it's like over 40 plus verses. Now, I was not great at math, but I know 15 or 14 is less than 40 plus verses. So anytime you talk about the law, you will see an amplification of the curse. You will see an amplification of everything that is wrong. You will see an amplification of all that is negative. Yes, do you see the blessing? Absolutely. But it will not be amplified. Now you come into the new covenant. What's going to happen? The blessing of the Lord is amplified in the lives of people. Hallelujah. The glory of the Lord is amplified. Peace and grace is multiplied in the new covenant. It is amplified in the new covenant. And that is the new covenant by which we must know God. And that's the new covenant by which he wants to relate to you and me. If you understand that, say amen. Show me verse 12 in, in the New King James for me, please, if you can. Verse 12 in the New King James. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. Can you do that? All right, thank you. It says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their slawless deeds I will remember no more. See, it's not that you became perfect in the flesh, but he says, Here is how I will deal with you. The way I will deal with you is that I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. And to your sins and lawless deeds, I will remember them no more. Hallelujah. Verse 13. And he says, and that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hallelujah. Finally, let's go to um, John chapter 8, please. I'll give you one uh, uh, quick example. John chapter 8. Many of you know this scripture. In verse 2, it says, Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. He sat down and taught. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set uh, her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? In other words, what they're saying is, we know, according to the law, God wants this woman to be killed. 
God wants this woman to be stoned to death. That's what we know about God, they're saying. We know God. They're confident. We know God. That's what he wants us to do. Take a couple of stones and kill this woman. So he says, you're supposedly the great teacher. What do you say? Now the verse says, this they said. Not because they really wanted to know, but the Bible says this they said, testing him that they might have something on which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted in their, by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw that no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Underline that word, circle that word, that word, condemn. Has no one condemned you? All of these teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the other spectators who want to see a woman killed in broad daylight. Where are those who condemn you? Where are those of your accusers? She said, verse 11, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Now, listen to this. Does the act of adultery require condemnation according to the law? Yes. You sinned. There must be condemnation. And here he says, standing in broad daylight, knowing fully well what this woman did, Knowing fully well with whom she did it. Knowing fully well that that person was not there. Only the woman was caught and dragged onto the street. Knowing fully well all of those details. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Look at the next verse. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. Remember, light always reveals. Light always reveals. You turn off all the lights, you don't see anything in this room. When you turn on the lights, it reveals. Now he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What was he saying? I did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. The world through me will know God the Father the way I know Him. The way I know His nature, the way I know 
his character. Not based on the law, not based on the prophets, but based on who he truly is. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That is the nature of God for every single one of us. Pastor, I don't know how God would respond. I know. I know how he would respond. How can you say that? Because I've seen Jesus. Because I've seen Jesus. If I've seen Jesus, I've seen the Father. And I've seen how Jesus responds in these situations. So therefore, I know how the Father responds in those situations. He says, I will only say what I hear my Father say. I only do what I've seen my Father That's the nature of God. And that's why he wants to have a relationship with you. And today you and I have an opportunity to know him as our father. To know him for who he truly is. Hallelujah. As we get ready to close, what's your responsibility? Three things I want you to write down. Number one, know the nature of God through Jesus and the new covenant. Know the nature of God through Jesus and the new covenant. Number two, don't let circumstances or experiences override the truth of God's word. Don't let circumstances or experiences override the truth of God's word. Well, pastor, I, you know, so-and-so experienced this, so-and-so experienced that, my circumstances this, my circumstances that. No, no, no. Don't let your experiences override the truth of God's word. Number three, grow in the knowledge of God through disciplines. Grow in the knowledge of God through disciplines. Number one, Bible reading. Number two, prayer. Number three, church attendance. Now, am I saying that Bible reading will make you righteous? Absolutely not. Am I saying prayer will make you righteous? Absolutely not. Am I saying church attendance is needed for you to be righteous? Absolutely not. Those things happen by the grace of God. You're made righteous. You're made holy in Him. However, to grow in the knowledge of God, these three disciplines are needed in your life. Reading the Word, spending time in prayer, and then coming to church regularly. Everyone say regularly. That, those three disciplines must be part of every Christian's life. And by the way, even if you're not a Christian this morning, even if you're watching us online or maybe somebody sent you this, I want you to know God wants to have a relationship with you. And those three things, just do them over the next three months and I guarantee you, your life will never be the same again. Just start reading the word. Just start praying for, even if it's 30 seconds, just pray, talk to God, start coming to church and I guarantee your life will never be the same. Amen. Did you receive something this morning? All right, let's stand to our feet. Let's lift our hands to heaven and just thank God 
at this time. Just speak to God for a few minutes. Just open your mouths and just thank Him for His grace. Thank Him for Jesus. Thank Him for the work of Jesus. Thank Him for who He is. Thank Jesus for revealing the Father to us. Where would we be if we did not know Jesus? Where would we be if we did not know the Father for who He truly is as revealed by His Son, Jesus? Come on, open your mouths. Begin to thank Him. Talk to Him this morning. You know, thanksgiving must be expressed. Thanksgiving must be expressed. It must be spoken of. Come on, open your mouths and begin to thank Him. Hallelujah. I hope you were blessed by the word today. Be sure to subscribe and share this with your family and friends. If you'd like to sow into this ministry, the details are provided in the description. For more information on how to reach us or contact us, do visit our website, www.newcityhyd.in. I will see you again next time. Be blessed.